Chapters 18 through 24 of the Perpetual Virginity of Blessed Mary by St. Jerome. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. 18. There are things which, in your extreme ignorance, you had never read, and therefore you neglected the whole range of Scripture, and employed your madness in outraging the Virgin, like the man in the story who, being unknown to everybody, and finding that he could devise no good deed by which to gain renown, burned the temple of Diana, and when no one revealed the sacrilegious act, it is said that he himself went up and down, proclaiming that he was the man who had applied the fire. The rulers of Ephesus were curious to know what made him do this thing, whereupon he replied that if he could not have fame for good deeds, all men should give him account for bad ones. Grecian history relates the incident, but you do worse, you have set on fire the temple of the Lord's body. You have defiled the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, from which you are determined to make a team of four brethren and a heap of sisters come forth. In a word, joining in the chorus of the Jews, you say, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph, and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? The word all would not be used if there were not a crowd of them. Pray tell me who, before you appeared, was acquainted with this blasphemy, who thought the theory worth twopence. You have gained your desire, and are become notorious by crime. For myself, who am your opponent, although we live in the same city, I do not know, as the saying is, whether you are white or black. I pass over faults of dictation which abound in every book you write, I say not a word about your absurd introduction. Good heavens! I do not ask for eloquence, since having none yourself, you applied for a supply of it to your brother, Craterus. I do not ask for grace of style. I look for purity of soul. For with Christians it is the greatest of syllogisms and vices of style to introduce anything base, either in word or action. I am come to the conclusion of my argument. I will deal with you as though I had yet prevailed nothing, and you will find yourself on the horns of a dilemma. It is clear that our Lord's brethren bore the name in the same way that Joseph was called his father. I and thy father sought thee sorrowing. It was his mother who said this, not the Jews. The evangelist himself relates that his father and his mother were marveling at the things which were spoken concerning him. And there are similar passages which we have already quoted in which Joseph and Mary are called his parents. Seeing that you have been foolish enough to persuade yourself that the Greek manuscripts are corrupt, you will perhaps plead the diversity of readings. I therefore come to the Gospel of John, and there it is plainly written, Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, you will certainly find this in your manuscript. Now tell me, how is Jesus the son of Joseph, when it is clear that he was begotten of the Holy Ghost? Was Joseph his true father? Dull as you are, you will not venture to say that. Was he his reputed father? If so, let the same rule be applied to them when they are called brethren, that you apply to Joseph when he is called father. Now that I have cleared the rocks and shoals, I must spread sail and make all speed to reach this epilogue. Fleeing himself to be a smatterer, 
he there produces Tertullian as a witness and quotes the words of Victorinius, bishop of Petivim. Of Tertullian I say no more than that he did not belong to the church. But as regards Victorinius, I assert what has already been proved from the gospel, that he spoke of the brethren of the Lord, not as being sons of Mary, but brethren in the sense I have explained, that is to say, brethren in point of kinship, not by nature. We are, however, spending our strength on trifles, and leaving the fountain of truth are following the tiny streams of opinion. Might I not array against you the whole series of ancient writers, Ignatius, Polycarp, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, and many other apostolic and eloquent men, who against Ebion, Theodotus of Byzantium, and Valentinius held these same views, and wrote volumes replete with wisdom. If you have ever read what they wrote, you would be a wiser man. But I think it better to reply briefly to each point than to linger any longer and extend my book to an undue length. 20. I now direct the attack against the passage in which, wishing to show your cleverness, you institute a comparison between virginity and marriage, and could not forbore smiling. And I thought of the proverb, Did you ever see a camel dance? Are virgins better, you ask, than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were married men? Are not infants daily fashioned by the hands of God in the wombs of their mother? And if so, are we bound to blush at the thought of Mary having a husband after she was delivered? If they find any disgrace in this, they ought not consistently even to believe that God was born of the virgin by natural delivery. For according to them, there is more dishonor in a virgin giving birth to God by the organs of generation than in a virgin being joined to her own husband after she has been delivered. Add, if you like, Helvidius, the other humiliations of nature, the womb for nine months growing larger, the sickness, the delivery, the blood, the swaddling clothes. Picture to yourself the infant in the enveloping membranes. Introduce into your picture the hard manger, the wailing infant, the circumcision on the eighth day, the time of purification, so that he may be proved to be unclean. We do not blush, we are not put to silence. The greater the humiliations he endured for me, the more I owe him. And when you have given every detail, you will be able to produce nothing more shameful than the cross, which we confess, in which we believe, and by which we triumph over our enemies. 21. But as we do not deny what is written, so we do reject what is not written. I believe that God was born of the Virgin, because we read it. That Mary was married after she brought forth, we do not believe, because we do not read it. Nor do we say this to condemn marriage. For virginity itself is the fruit of marriage. But because when we are dealing with saints, we must not judge rashly, if we adopt possibility as the standard of judgment, we might maintain that Joseph had several wives, because Abraham had, and so had Jacob, that the Lord's brethren are the issue of those wives, an invention which some hold with such rashness, which springs from audacity, not from piety. You say that Mary did not continue a virgin. I claim still more, that Joseph himself on account of Mary was a virgin, so that from a virgin wedlock a virgin son was born. For if as holy a man 
he does not come under the imputation of fornication, and it is nor written that he had another wife, but was the guardian of Mary, whom he was supposed to have to wife rather than her husband. The conclusion is that he who was thought to be worthy to be called the father of the Lord remained a virgin. 22. And now I am about to institute a comparison between virginity and marriage. I beseech my readers not to suppose that in praising virginity I have in the least disparaged marriage, and separated the saints of the Old Testament from those of the New, that is to say, those who had wives and those who altogether refrained from the embraces of women. I rather think that in accordance with the difference in time and circumstance, one rule applied to the former, another to us upon whom the ends of the world have come, so long as that law remained be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And cursed is the barren woman that beareth not seed in Israel. They all married and were given in marriage, left father and mother, became one flesh. But once in tones of thunder the words were heard, the time is shortened, that henceforth those that have wives may be as though they had none. Cleaving to the Lord, we are made one spirit with him. And why? Because... He that is unmarried is careful for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married is careful for the things of this world, how he may please his wife. And there is a difference also between the wife and the virgin. She that is unmarried is careful for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married is careful for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Why do you cavil? Why do you resist? The vessel of election says this. He tells us that there is a difference between the wife and the virgin. Observe what the happiness of that state must be in which even the distinction of sex is lost. The virgin is no longer called a woman. She that is unmarried is careful for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. A virgin is defined as she that is holy in body and in spirit. For it is no good to have virgin flesh if a woman be married in mind. But she that is married is careful for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Do you think that there is no difference between one who spends her time in prayer and fasting, and one who must, at her husband's approach, make up her countenance, walk with mincing gait, and feign a show of endearment? The virgin's aim is to appear less comely. She will wrong herself so as to hide her natural attractions. The married woman has the paint laid on before her mirror, and to the insult of her maker strives to acquire something more than her natural beauty. Then come the prattling of infants, the noisy household, children watching for her word and waiting for her kiss, the reckoning up of expenses, the preparation to meet the outlay. On one side you will see a company of cooks, girded for the onslaught, attacking the meat. There you may hear the hum of a multitude of weavers. Meanwhile a message is delivered that the husband and his friends have arrived. The wife, like a swallow, flies all over the house. She has to see to everything. Is the sofa soft? Is the pavement swept? Are the flowers in the cups? Is dinner ready? Tell me, pray. Where amid all this is there room for the thought of God? Are these happy homes, where there is the beating of drums, the noise and clatter of pipe and lute, 
the clanging of cymbals, can any fear of God be found? The parasite is snubbed and feels proud of the honor. Enter next the half-naked victims of the passions, a mark for every lustful eye. The unhappy wife must either take pleasure in them and perish, or be displeased and provoke her husband. Hence arises discord, the seed-plot of divorce. Or suppose you find me a house where these things are unknown, which is a rava avas, indeed. Yet even there the very management of the household, the education of the children, the wants of the husband, the correction of the servants, cannot fail to call away the mind from the thought of God. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So the scripture says, and afterwards Abraham received the command, In all that Sarah saith unto thee, hearken unto her voice. She who is not subject to the anxiety and pain of childbearing, and having passed the change of life, has ceased to perform the functions of a woman, is freed from the curse of God, nor is her desire to be her husband. But on the contrary, her husband becomes subject to her, and the voice of the Lord commands him. And all that Sarah saith unto thee, hearken unto her voice. Thus they begin to have time for prayer. For so long as the debt of marriage is paid, earnest prayer is neglected. 23. I do not deny that holy women are found both among widows and those who have husbands, but they are such as have ceased to be wives, or such as, even in the close bond of marriage, imitate virgin chastity. The apostle, Christ speaking in him, briefly bore witness to this when he said, She that is unmarried is careful for the things of the Lord, how she may please the Lord. But she that is married is careful for the things of this world, how she may please her husband. He leaves us the free exercise of our reason in the matter. He lays no necessity upon anyone, nor leads anyone into a snare. He only persuades to that which is proper when he wishes all men to be as himself. He had not, it is true, a commandment from the Lord respecting virginity, for that grace surpasses the unassisted power of man, and it would have worn an air of immodesty to force men to fly in the face of nature, and to say, in other words, I want you to be what the angels are. It is this angelic purity which secures to virginity its highest reward, and the apostle might have seemed to despise a course of life which involves no guilt. Nevertheless, in the immediate context he adds, but I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I think, therefore, that this is good by reason of the present distress, namely, that it is good for a man to be as he is. What is meant by present distress? Woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. The reason why the wood grows up is that it may be cut down, the field is sown that it may be reaped, the world is already full, and the population is too large for the soil. Every day we are being cut down by war, snatched away by disease, swallowed up by shipwreck, although we go to law with one another about the fences of our property. It is only one addition to the general rule which is made by those who follow the Lamb, and who have not defiled their garments, for they have continued in their virgin state. Notice the meaning of defiling. I shall not venture to explain it, for fear Helvidius may be abusive. I agree with you when you say that some virgins are nothing but tavern women. I say still more, 
that even adulteresses may be found among them, and you will no doubt be still more surprised to hear that some of the clergy are innkeepers, and some monks are unchaste. Who does not at once understand that a tavern woman cannot be a virgin, nor an adulterer a monk, nor a clergyman a tavern keeper? Are we to blame virginity if its counterfeit is at fault? For my part, to pass over other persons and come to the virgin, I maintain that she who is engaged in huckstering, though for anything I know she may be a virgin in body, is no longer one in spirit. 24. I have become rhetorical, and have disported myself a little like a platform orator. You compelled me, Hevidius, for, brightly as the gospel shines at the present day, you will have it that equal glory attaches to virginity and to the married state. And because I think that, finding the truth too strong for you, you will turn to disparaging my life and abusing my character, it is the way of weak women to talk tittle-tattle in corners when they have been put down by their masters. I shall anticipate you. I assure you that I shall regard your railing as a high distinction, since the same lips that assail me have disparaged Mary, and I, the servant of the Lord, am favored with the same barking eloquence as his mother. End of 18 through 24 End of the Perpetual Virginity of Blessed Mary by St. Jerome Translated by William Henry Fremantle